Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boxing fans around the world. We have our May episode of the Lifeblood of Boxing series. I debated who to cover in May, but I thought it was timely given the most recent fight we saw and the potential for another retirement. I hope there's a retirement. This is one that I've tumbled when to feature. It was never whether to feature this person, it was when. And I think now's the time. Yuri Ortiz Gamboa has been a very controversial figure in boxing for many years. He's had his he's had some very troubling things over his career. And I don't know what's going on in his personal life that's contributed to some of this. I want to break down what I know and just simply celebrate him as a fighter. And I'm trying to stress that I'm celebrating him as a fighter. I don't know the man. I just know that he's had some issues. But I want to celebrate his achievements in the ring. First, you got to learn a little bit about where he came from. He comes from Venezuela. And they actually defected. So, there was a whole big story behind this. But the biggest takeaway around this was he's a gold medal Olympian. Many people don't realize gold medal Olympians are rare. It's hard to find. It's not hard to find Olympians. There are a lot of Olympians in boxing. That's where they used to always come from. It's kind of a steady flow, but it's rare to have a gold medal Olympian. And he had to actually sell his gold medal at one point to support his family because they were having a really hard time. And I, I thought I was thinking of other fighters that had the same challenges coming up. Guys like Sri Saketsorong Vijay, right? That they just had it rough when they were early in their careers or even before their careers. Rough, absolutely rough. And it seems like an ongoing story that a lot of these had it tough. Many of the fighters that debut now, some of them have it like, yeah, yeah, I lived in a poor neighborhood. These are guys like these, they have, it's not even close in how rough their upbringing was. You, Blair Cobbs and his dad and the whole drugs and all this stuff just absolute brutal backgrounds and so I dug a little deeper because I wanted to understand a little bit more about the guy Uniorkis turned pro I want to say it was 15 years ago almost to the day I believe 15 years ago and the thing with him is he initially was considered one of the next best things in boxing he was beating really solid fighters I won't say great fighters but solid fighters and he had a very strong run in who he was beating and the way he was taking them out everybody saw this guy was something very special he had won his first world title I'm talking world title two years after he had debuted that's that's rare it's very rare like very few fighters are able to even get the title shot that soon after they debut much less win the darn thing he gets the title over Jose Rojas, gets a stoppage. I'm pretty sure that was a vacant. It may not have been. All I remember is Jose Rojas, not that well-known of a fighter. You probably wouldn't even know him from very much other than his fight against Chris John. He was not very highly regarded. Solid fighter, very solid, decent, you know, not going anywhere kind of fighter. But it wasn't like he had not been beaten before. He had been beaten before. And he was kind of in the twilight of his career. And on the way out, when Gamboa met him, 
And apparently, this is what I understood, is it may have been an interim title. I I could have sworn it was a vacant, but maybe it wasn't. But an interim title at Featherweight, Gamboa blows him out, and then Rojas is never seen again. But Rojas, again, was already on the decline at the time that they fought. But that was the first title, official title, that Gamboa had held two years after debut, which was a good indicator of where he would go next. He then gets the official shot. This is a WBA interim. He gets the official shot for the WBA title that same year against Weiber Garcia. Blows him out. Stoppage. Defends the title. Rogers Matagua blows him out. Stoppage. (laughs) Now we're seeing a pattern with Gamboa. He is steadily just destroying guys and he's fighting at a pretty decent pace. He fought Rojas in April. He fought Garcia in October. He fought Matagua in January the following year. So he's steadily, aggressively defending his title back-to-back. Early in his career, he fought like six or seven times in the year, and then he kind of slowed down as he was getting title shots. But my point is, he started at a very high pace of back-to-back fights. This might contribute to why later in his career, it seemed like he was having a hard time with things like stamina because it feels like he might have just been going 500 miles an hour and not taking enough time to rest between fights, possibly. Usually when it's the featherweights, though, and the flyweights and the lesser guys, they don't have as much of an issue, especially when they are younger doing it. But I just noticed the trend that it seemed like his pace, maybe he couldn't sustain it for very, very long. I I don't really have that answer. I do know that he had gone pro and he was already like in his 20s. That's not crazy old, but usually fighters are like debuting at 18, 19, maybe 20. It was a little bit after the fact that, you know, he's already in his 20s and then he's basically going 500 miles an hour, back-to-back fights, defending the title multiple times, getting these blitz and stoppages. And again, it's not like these guys were bums. I would argue only Matagua had a questionable resume. Everybody else had a pretty decent resume. 2010 March, so this is two months after he fought Matagua, he's fighting Jonathan Barros. Jonathan Barros was undefeated at the time. Jonathan Barros, this took place in Germany. The story here is that Yuriorkis, when he left Colombia, he had gone to Germany and that's where he defected to get to the U.S. So he had already had a story in kind of going back to the place that he originally was where he defected at the time he was coming up and then he fights Barros out there, blitzes him, but does not stop him. Gets a unanimous decision, but ultimately beats him and becomes the first to beat Barros. Again, Barros at that time was still a solid fighter. He just had not beaten anybody of any significant note. Arguably a lot of journeymen on the record. And so it's it's not like he was a step, you know, like a soft touch necessarily. He was a decent fighter, but Barros had not been tested. I guess that's the best way to describe it. He had never been tested. He he had a record that didn't really tell the true story. Kind of like in Dongo, very similar in how he had been presented to the boxing community when they fought. Next fight, he's defending the title, WBA, and then going for the vacant IBF title, and he's going to fight Orlando Siri Salido, 2010. Everybody knows who Orlando Siri Salido is because Salido, of course, would be the person to hand later hand Nomaschenko his first loss. As well, Salido had been well-traveled, 
strong in the business. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew how dangerous the guy was. Everybody knew that he was a threat to pretty much everybody he got in the ring with over time. And it wasn't until, you know, he didn't really step up as far as competition. He didn't really step up until like his mid-career. Of course, he meets Marquez. And then Marquez dominates him because Marquez is on the come up. But when he fought Yuriorkis Gamboa, now remember, this is long before Lomachenko. So you got to think this version of Orlando Salida was still essentially in his prime. He'd only ever lost twice, did this. And one of them was questionable whether he lost it. Fights Gamboa. Gamboa takes him basically the full distance and beats him. The story behind that was later, I'll get, I'll talk about it maybe briefly around Mikey Garcia and Salido comparing performances in how Gamboa was able to pretty much dispatch Salido with veritable ease. I would argue it was the Salido fight that really put eyes on Yuriorkis Gamboa as potentially that next big thing because nobody up to that point, like Marquez dominated him certainly but that's Marquez Marquez already had a quality record Marquez was already well traveled Marquez had a sound resume nowhere close you got to think about it Marquez had so many more fights than either of these two guys that it wasn't even close in comparison in what Marquez was able to do to Salido we expected Marquez to do that Salido it wasn't necessarily expected Gamboa would be able to because Salido was again well traveled compared to him not saying that it was anything like he's a bum or any of that kind of stuff. None of that at all. Just saying that at the time, and you got to think about it's time. Nobody expected, you know, Gamboa to be able to do what he was able to do. Many might have thought that he was going to be able to beat Salido, not necessarily beat him that decisively from everybody's eyes. Next fight, Jorge Solis. The controversy around this one, this takes place in the United States. The controversy around the Solis fight is it's again for the vacant IBF title. And of course, Gamboa had fought Salido for the vacant IBF title at Featherweight. The What happened is Gamboa, during the weigh-in for the Solis fight, he missed weight. And so the IBF withdrew, basically, he basically lost the title on the scales is what happened. So now IBF goes vacant. So it was for vacant but only if Solis had won the fight and of course he didn't once Yuriorkis missed weight people started wondering okay is he declining or what the heck's going on here and I remember it seemed like this fight just the the way this all went down and the fight and everything else seemed like it marked the beginning of his decline this one right here and I'm not sure why that was there was nothing around it that explained it it just seemed like Either he lost motivation or he had a bad, because around this, he was dealing with 50 Cent and the money team and then the whole Jay-Z stuff. There's all this smoke behind what was happening, but something with the fight, you know, he got to stoppage, but it didn't make sense for him to miss weight. It didn't, at featherweight, it didn't make sense for him to miss weight. And the reason I'm saying that is he would continue fighting at featherweight. So nobody really understood what the heck's going on. <laughs> so blows out Solis. Next fight. Ponce de Leon. I I would argue that Ponce de Leon is, I'm not going to say he's eye test, but in a way he's kind of eye test as a fighter was Ponce de Leon. Ponce de Leon, the, the fight, he is most known, arguably, most known for his fight later with Adrian Broner because that was one of Adrian Broner's best performances. I would argue the best version 
of Adrian Broner was the one that met Daniel Ponce de Leon. That, of course, fight happened just prior to the fight with Gamboa. When Broner fought Ponce de Leon, a lot of people, NSB and other places online, felt as though uh, Ponce de Leon deserved to get his hand raised. I watched the fight. I didn't watch it live. I felt it was a close fight, not a robbery. Could have gone out of the way. It was close. Broner, I think, made it closer than it needed to be. This is 2011, by the way. And what validated this for me was that later, the fight after this, so then Broner was in March, fights Gamboa in September. In September fight with Gamboa, there's a headbutt and then it goes to the cards. But when you looked at the cards, Gamboa was about to wash him anyway. So I think the Broner and De Leon fight was really more about, okay, well, it is what it is. Broners didn't show up. Versus when Gamboa fought Ponce de Leon, Gamboa just completely destroys him. Well, if we look at what might have happened because of the Broner fight, we can't dismiss the potential that Broner was more effective than people online were saying. That Broner actually was able to put some kinks in the armor of de Leon because de Leon was on the easily on the rise, easily on the rise. He had lost before, but he was easy on the rise because of how many people he had beaten stoppages. He was getting knockouts. He was getting. And so people were looking at him as potentially one of these up and covers. There was all this, not drama, but build. There was build for the guys that potentially get in there with like Juan Manuel Lopez, who he lost to and so on. And so, it was kind of this build narrative, very similar to today's welterweight division. You got different guys that are excelling at different things in parallel, and then they're trying to match them against each other. That's what I saw with De Leon. It just that Broner got to him first. Gamboa, I didn't see it as close. So it didn't matter that the headbutt happened because Gamboa easily washes him. But as I said, it felt like the Solis fight took something out of Gamboa because Gamboa was not able to take out De Leon which I thought he should have been able to, in my opinion, on my eyes. Next fight, Michael Farinas, he fights for the the WBA title. He's defending it against Farinas. And this was his last fight at featherweight. He vacates the titles, takes a quick fight at lightweight to get used to it. Now, the mistake people called out is he jumped from featherweight straight to lightweight. And nobody knew why he immediately jumped up to lightweight. We suspected it was something around him missing weight against Solis, but never we never could we understand what that was. The fighter at lightweight that he took, Darlis Perez, at the time was undefeated, but regional. He had not been heavily regarded. Very few people really knew who he was at that time. He had had some fights, but nobody that was recognizable or notable except for like one or two. And even they were like the B minus level. So the version that Yuriorkis Gamboa fought, nobody, although he was undefeated, it was kind of, it's like, okay, he's undefeated and it is what it is. Gamboa didn't do anything for him other than promote the fact that he's here at lightweight. And even then, Gamboa couldn't get him out of there. It went the distance. I would argue it was not close in his performance, but again, he couldn't get the guy out of there. Now, of course, this is two weight classes up from where he was, so nobody was surprised that he struggled to get him out of there but people were wondering again, did the Solis fight expose something? Did we learn something from what happened in the Solis situation? And then that would play into factor potentially 
when Yuriorkis would fight Terence Crawford in 2014, June. The fight with Crawford, anybody that remembers that fight will clearly remember that Crawford gets wobbled because he's basically playing around in an exchange with Gamboa. Gamboa hits him pretty much by in the ear. Crawford goes Bambi for a minute and he's backing off. Gamboa can't capitalize on it because he was never taught on how to exploit that gap. He was never taught how to take out an opponent like that. The ones he had knocked out and stopped before were not smart enough to, you know, back off the engagement and defend when they got hurt like Crawford was. So Crawford was easily able to recover from this and then Crawford would go on to drop him multiple times en route to the to defending he's defending the WBO lightweight title. So then that fight arguably opened the doors for Crawford as he went up in weight and went a different direction. Because Gamboa up to that point had been undefeated. Gamboa up to that point was a strong name. Gamboa at that point had been heavily built. Gamboa was believed to be the next big thing. So for Crawford to beat this guy and take his O and beat him by stoppage the way that he did, it opened doors for Crawford. I would argue it caused a little bit of close for Gamboa, but not completely. It just basically throttled him. It slowed his momentum. He wasn't able to get the same opportunities that he was getting before where he was just back to back to back to back. After Crawford, he takes some soft touches. I'm pretty sure they were still at lightweight at this point. Takes some soft touches. Nobody really well-known. People might say Rene Alvarado was. I don't say so. Um, just Alvarado's last name. He's banking on his last name, his brother. I didn't see that. I felt he was a soft touch. Then he fights Castellanos in 2017. Castellanos' fight is the most notorious fight of Gamboa's career from my eyes because it was the first and to date only fight where Gamboa would quit. He would quit on the stool. And the reason he would quit against Castellanos, Castellanos had a, I don't want to say a bum because he was not a bum, but he had a record that did not tell you that he should have, that Gamboa should have struggled with this guy. There should have been no reason (laughs) at all that he struggled with this guy, but he struggled with this guy. I want to steer to Castellanos just a little bit so I can put in perspective why this matters. Castellanos, from the first 10 fights that he ever had, he only won three of them. And of the fights that he lost, he had already lost to guys by stoppage, by knockout. He was nowhere near somebody that Gabo should have struggled with. He got totally stopped by Orlando Salido. He got totally stopped by Mikey Garcia. Again, this is all before he ever fought Yuriokis Gamboa. He was getting knocked out and stopped long before this. The reason that Castellanos was even positioned to have this fight with Yuriorkis is because Castellanos had a streak, a win streak, where he won a featherweight title. And he was presented as, okay, he's rebuilding, he's coming back, he's going to be doing something, he's going to be da-da-da, meets Rene Alvarado, gets stopped again. <laughs> Does a win streak again, but then it's a standing, you know, then gets knocked out by Escandon in 2016. And then Gamboa is immediately after this. Escandon, they're expecting, okay, Castellanos, he got knocked out, you know, got knocked out by Escandon. So this is a good get back fight, rebuild fight for Gamboa. In that fight, every single time Gamboa would exchange, he's getting tagged. And the, the comedy is, if you get to hear the official broadcast, it's still on YouTube. 
you're hearing Teddy Atlas and he's talking about, you know, it's like that kid, you know, and he's like a race car and he, all he has is that speed and he's never taught the rules of the road. Gamboa's that kid. He's that kid. And then later on, Gamboa eats a right because he he's leading in with his foot while throwing a hook. Gamboa eats a straight right and goes down and Teddy Atlas is like, there it is, lack of fundamentals. That's that fight. That's that pattern repeated for multiple rounds that Gamboa was just getting tagged over and over again by by this. I'm not calling him a bum. It's a temptation. I'm not going to do it. But this guy Castellanos, whose record should tell you that Gamboa should not have had any trouble with him. But for whatever reason, Gamboa had major trouble with him. Mind you, Castellanos would proceed to lose his next two fights, and he hadn't been seen since. That was 2018. So it's like he was just losing, losing fights. Gamboa should not have quit, number one. And he certainly should not have been dropped as much as he was. Something felt like it was off. Something seemed like it wasn't, he wasn't all there. And so people were concerned, okay, maybe you need to retire, bro, because you should not be losing this guy, Castellanos. Then he comes back again, does Gamboa, gets four wins in a row. One of them is a, a knockout. And I would argue the knockout is what kind of put him back on the map. There was the Unanimous by Miguel Beltran, but I would argue that the knockout of Roman Martinez put Gamboa back on the map and back in contention because Roman Martinez was another one of these guys that started out and just getting knockouts after knockouts after knockouts. He was blitzing guys. He had solid wins against guys like Francisco Lorenzo, who I'm a big fan of. Knockouts after knockouts, only ever lost to champions at the time, that being Ricky Burns, uh, out in Glasgow, and then Mikey Garcia. And, of course, we know him both of those guys. Other than that, knockouts, not, and then uh, Lomacheco. Other than that, he had, he was winning. He was beating everybody, including Siri Salido in 2015. So then Gamboa goes in there. Gamboa gets a win against him. And I would argue that at the time that, he, you know, Gamboa beat Martinez, this was 2019, Martinez was kind of in the older. He was kind of leaning older, but he was still solid. He was still dangerous. He was still a threat. And it felt like with the way that he performed Gamboa against Martinez, that was the key to say, okay, I'm back and I'm ready to kind of retake my throne. The other ones, the Beltran, Sosa, I think their names are something, but the Roman Martinez for me felt like this is what told promoters that this guy's still here and he's going to be a threat to people. At, fresh off this, that's in 2019 in July. In December, he fights Tank Davis. And everybody suspects that it's a cherry pick for Tank. Tank goes in there and Tank is barely trying against this guy. He was looking around. He was distracted. There was no point where Gamble was ever a threat to Tank Davis at all. It was bizarre. It's a weird fight. This is for the WBA lightweight. Weird, weird fight. And then eventually Tank gets the stoppage. Next, in 2020, so then a year later in November, Gambo is back and he's fighting Devin Haney. Devin Haney, everybody knows what he is. Everybody knows who he is. This is now for the WBC light title. <laughs> and Devin Haney just outboxes Gamboa. There's not, there's no point where Haney was even close to getting that knockout or stoppage like Tank. He just completely outboxed, shutting down Shut him out. Okay. People are like, you know, <laughs> Gamboa, maybe it's time for you to retire because 
we're seeing what happened with Castellanos. You did get that comeback against Roman Martinez, but then you just got completely dominated by these two champions. Maybe it's time to let it go. Nope. Instead, we hear in this year, last month actually, he got another title shot against Isak Cruz, who is now they're both fighting for the vacant WBO intercontinental light title, which would position them for potentially a future shot at the WBO lightweight champion. And, and Isak Cruz completely dominates him, dropped him multiple times. It wasn't close. I don't think Gamboa made any sort of significant damage on Isak Cruz, whatever. And it's not that Gamboa wasn't in the fight. It was, he was completely outmatched by Isak Cruz. And that felt like it was more about Gamboa's decline than Cruz because Cruz is a solid fighter. But Gamboa, if I go back to the Gamboa that fought Ponce de Leon, that version would have that version would have beaten Isak Cruz. I'm confident of this because he was just a more effective swarmer than Cruz ever could think of being. Like Cruz was just was just coming forward, throwing haymakers the whole night. And Gamboa just didn't have an answer and he was falling for this every single time. Castellanos, he was landing shots, but he wasn't like overly aggressive. He was just countering very well. But with Isak Cruz, he was just walking forward, throwing bombs, throwing haymakers. Anybody else at an earlier time, Gamboa would never have been bombed on by those shots that I saw from Cruz. So now Gamboa's three losses in a row in his most recent fights. And this is after he had only ever lost to, think of the list here. Terrence Crawford, who at the time was undefeated, and he was unifying lightweight. Castellanos, who, for whatever reason, that record, there was no reason Gamboa should have struggled with him. Tank Davis, who's at the top of the lightweight division right now. Devin Haney, who's a lightweight champion in his own right. And then Isak Cruz, who wasn't a champion, but he had a great performance against Tank. So, it's frustrating. And even his fans would tell you. It's frustrating seeing what happened with Gamboa over time because... You see the potential in the guy. You see that there was something there and he was something special, but something went wrong. Somewhere, and I argue, was around the Solis fight, 2011. Something went wrong. Something short-circuited where he never, he was never the same fighter that he was. And nobody could ever describe exactly what happened with him. And maybe at some point when he retires, he'll tell the story if there were things we didn't know. But I figured I would feature him on Lifeblood because when you look at his fights, if you look at every single one of his fights, I would argue, except for Devin Haney, every single one of his other fights, this guy was working hard to entertain the fans. Even in Castellanos before he quit, he was working hard to try to entertain the fans. He was working hard to try to give you your money's worth and make you convince you that he was going to win at some point. Early in his career, he was more successful than later. But all the way to the very end, all the way to the Isak Cruz fight, this guy was still coming forward, still trying. And it was disappointing to see him quit against Castellanos because, again, I don't think as far as Cuba, there's been another fighter in the modern era better than Yuriorcus Gamboa at their peak in just their presence and their ability and the way that they were sold and marketed as what they were, what they are, like, it seemed like he was better than his record would indicate. And we could see this as long as he doesn't fight. And we see this with some fighters. As long as they don't fight the A tier, he's able to dominate him and get him out there. But every time he steps to the A tier, he falls short. And the way he falls short is a dominant fall short. 
if that makes sense. Like he's never lost in a close, right? It's always been he was stopped or he was dominated <laughs> or he quit. Well, think about that. If all his outcomes were stop, dominate, or quit, that means he was always a fighter except for the one where he quit. And even when we quit, that was nine rounds in. So it took a while until you could convince him to stop. And nobody knows to this day why he actually quit that. I don't recall seeing why he quit that one. And I got to think that people are going to be trying to pick at the bones. I, I truly hope that he has made enough money in his career that he doesn't have to fight. And if he likes to do it, I would, I would much rather see him not actually fight as a pro, but perhaps train other guys. Cause I do think that there's something there in terms of that intangible that he's got. There's an energy that he brings. And I think he can contribute to some people. He does lack certain fundamentals. He lacks fundamentals of defense. His offense was always his defense. His speed was always what kept him going. We saw that against Terrence Crawford. His speed is what kept him at the top for so long. Once he slowed down and he no longer could rely on that speed because he got older. And as we get older, your body doesn't care what you think. Then we started to see kicks of the armor. He was still able to beat guys at the B level. But once you hit the A, there was just no hope. And people were wondering why he's getting title shots. It's because he's still a name. And it's because he's still an exciting fighter to watch. Even in loss. He's still able to go out there and entertain. Like, think about this. This guy fought Ponce de Leon after Adrian Broner. Adrian Broner is a four-division champion. Adrian Broner probably made way more money than Yuriokis Gamboa. Adrian Broner at featherweight was a brilliant, brilliant fighter. He was. At, at the lower weights, he was a brilliant fighter, was Broner. When he went up in weight, he lost it. It started to be about the money, and he was nowhere near the same fighter that he was at the lesser weights. Even when he went down, because I think he went down to fight a couple of people. I forget exactly who. Might have been Mikey and one other. He still wasn't that same brilliant fighter because he no longer had the motivation. That's what I see with Gamboa. But again, Broner, on the flip, has never been knocked out, never been stopped never quit and he's had close loss decisions right whereas Gamboa is the polar opposite he's never had a close loss he's only ever been stopped knocked out or quit or excuse me stopped quit or went the distance not knocked out it's weird it's that weird how can you have such polar opposites on two of the best fighters of the prior generation so I don't know I know that Yudorkis does not speak English, so I don't know if he was going to listen to this, but I think he's one of those fighters that deserves to be recognized for the fights he did give us. I think he gave us a lot of excitement in the fights. I think his fans were disappointed in him for quitting against Castellanos, rightfully so. But when I look at what he has tried to do, like he tried in every fight he tried, he went out there and tried. He busted his ass to get out there and try. And I got to respect that. I got to respect that because there's so many fighters that just don't. There's so many fighters that they don't try anywhere near as much as he did against every fighter that he's been in there with. Especially when you see just recently what happened with Oscar Valdez against Shakur Stevenson. Valdez didn't try. Like, compare the energy. It's not close. And you get guys like a Valdez who barely try when they hit the top level. And then guys like Yuri Orkis who get title shots, but it's like, it's not enough because he's too old now. 
He's just older. It's not anything about a skill change. He's just older. And the Castellanos, something had to be going on. The Solis, something had to be going on. Crawford, we knew there was something with Crawford, but he was even able to stagger and stumble Crawford worse than anybody else ever has since or before. That He can take that and say, no, he's the one guy that was able to cause enough hurt to Crawford to do that. Certainly, Cavalasco was able to drop him, and it should have been counted. But even after Crawford was dropped, it wasn't like he was major wobbled. He did get wobbled a little bit against Porter, but it wasn't like the Bambi style you saw against Gamboa, which is crazy to see it and to watch it back and to watch that fight back and, and see Crawford come back from that adversity because Gamboa was giving him everything he could. He gave everything he could against that one. He gave everything he could against uh, Isak Cruz. It just wasn't enough. And then he was getting outboxed when guys would box him like Davis and Haney and Tank he could take him out whenever he wanted to, told me that it was just Gamboa's a different fighter. He's older. Doesn't negate the fact that he was there. And he tried. He tried his ass off. And I give him major kudos credit for that. I don't know what he's doing now. He is active on social media. He still has his following. Cubans, mostly. And everybody says the same thing, if you ask him. It's like he had so much potential as a fighter. And there was just that period where and even now, like his record's not terrible, but there was so much more potential in where he could have gone. But until we answer the unanswered questions about what was going on with the deal with Solis fight, we don't know what happened there. We don't know what was physically going on, mentally going on, what was going on in his life. We don't have those answers. And we don't know what was happening with Castellanos. We don't know what's happening there. There were so many unknowns in what was what was the situation at the time. And we don't know how that would have changed history. We don't know how far he could have gone because he's one of those that had he stayed the course and been able to not had that situation with Solis, for example, we don't know how far he might've gone. We don't know if he might've beat Crawford if he had been able to take Solis out. So many fighters have come since and there are other fighters and Cubans that they fallen short, and I know it's a pride thing for them, particularly. When they lose or they quit, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking for them. Or if they just get beat and they don't think they should have, it's heartbreaking for them because they're all fighters. Some of them are more electric than others. Gamboa is one of those that belongs at the top of that list. I think regardless of where he ended up and where he ends up, I think he's one that he is pretty much... I'm not going to say he's like guaranteed lock hall of fame, but I will say that he's one that deserves to be there for what he did do prior to meeting Terrence Crawford. I think he doesn't get enough credit for who he beat when he beat them, how he beat them prior to meeting Terrence Crawford. And hopefully again, um, he's healthy and he's well, and he's made enough money that he doesn't need to fight anymore. Because the last thing we want to see is something like Amir Khan, where he's just fighting to make a check. And I want to see him live well and happy and contribute to the sport in some other way. Because I do think he has a lot to contribute. But I personally would not want to see him get hurt with getting matched with young guys that just need a name on the record, which is what it feels like has happened in the last three fights.